Are you ready? Hey, everybody. Hey, folks. Hello, everybody. People in the back. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the inner loop. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the inner loop. Without further ado. Without further ado. Okay, so without further ado, we're going to get started. We should get started. We're yeah. Rolling. I'm right there. We're, we're, we're going to get started. <laughs> Welcome to the Interloop Radio, broadcasting live on full service radio from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. I'm Courtney Sexton. And I'm Rachel Coons. Thank you for joining us. If you haven't already, please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you stream from. And for all our loyal listeners out there, don't forget to leave us a review telling the world how much you love us. And for any new listeners out there, here on the Interloop Radio, we delve into all things creative writing, whether that be inspiration or craft, what makes a great ghost story, or how to construct the perfect sonnet, or just how we all sit down each day in front of an empty page. We play clips of local writers reading their work at our monthly reading series, and we invite a few of those writers to join our discussion. Uh, before we get on to today's show, though, we have to remind you about our super awesome winter fundraising gala. That's right. We're hosting our first ever big fancy writer party on December 6th at the museum. The amazing Alice McDermott, uh, local author Alice Sandoshraj, and the DC Youth Poet Laureate Gabriella Orozco will be giving readings. And we'll be enjoying sweeping views of the DC city sky. Skyline, Wolfgang Puck hors d'oeuvres, and of course, booze. Because booze. Because booze. Um, don't forget our sponsors. We have silent auction items from amazing organizations like The Moth, Capitol Hill Arts Workshop, Shakespeare Theater Company, Union Stage, and... and so many more and we've already sold out of our vip tickets that's right so get out there and get your tickets either on our facebook page or web page or on directly on givelively.org cool okay promo done check great moving on um <laughs> i can't believe it i know but uh we're creeping up on the holidays i know this month has gone by particularly quickly probably because of gala planning yeah that could, be, that could be that um and so this is actually our last show before thanksgiving so we thought it would be apropos to think about food writing since since you know so much of, of holiday traditions <laughs> center around food um and more specifically uh you know how food can function in writing that isn't expressly food writing also i love food as a thing in writing <laughs> i love food. food i was just saying there's a gluten-free bakery around the corner no, no. um but yes i love food because it gives you an opportunity to use the much neglected sense of smell in writing in writing Tell because, me more. <laughs> tell me more. Well, Proust wrote this whole book about the smell you or taste. So I know. Hard. I always bring this up <laughs> of the of the Madeleine cookie, and it brought right. up all these memories. And he wrote like seven books about it. And so I I feel like smell to us and taste it it has such a direct connection to memory, mm -hmm. and memory is such a great well of inspiration for writing. So I think that food writing can be that gateway into yeah, another world. Yeah, that's what, I mean, I agree. I see food functioning that way in my writing a lot, too, or even I, my, my go-to is the William Carlos Williams poems, or, you know, <laughs> plums in the icebox, they taste so good, right? It's not, it's not about the plums, <laughs> but it's so heavy, It's right? so heavy. <laughs> um, and, yeah, so there's there's 
it, it I think functions too as a way to gather and center characters mm-hmm. right so it's really easy to set up a scene with someone eating at a table or I think and this isn't I mean this is like film your James would know more like screenwriting kind of do you ever think about Brad Pitt yeah, he's always eating. always eating. I was just watching Ocean's Eleven and Twelve and Thirteen and Fifteen or whatever, um, and he's eating in every scene, and it's such a big part of his character, right? And it's cute. <laughs> I mean, he's I mean, he's cute. I mean, but it, no, it, it is Brad Pitt. It's something relatable, um, but yeah, then can bring us into this. It's centering, though. I think you're right. Yeah. It's centering, and and it grounds his character. And I think that it all also can be used as a way of building tension. Yeah, the way you go uh, back and forth from something serious to something lighthearted, and you can kind of build tension that way, and also give your reader a break. From you know, if you especially if you're writing about something intense, mm-hmm. uh, you can give them a break and then talk about food, and everybody can relate to food. Or even focus in on the process, right? Like I think about cutting a lot. It's that yeah. meditative kind it's of thing. It's very meditative. Chopping. That's right. I wrote a whole essay about cleaning an oven. You know, yeah, and all the food that's in there and all the remains yeah. of of your day. Um, <laughs> so okay, so that's that's food and food things as as devices, right? Um, but straight up food writing too. There's some incredible pieces. I think always of the the transformative. David well, Foster again, Wallace. who doesn't love to read about food? <laughs> well, but like think. Okay, so when when Wallace wrote "Consider the Lobster," what by Wallace she means David Foster. Wallace. I just said David Foster Wallace. I said I didn't want to like repeat the whole DFW. Okay, we were like just this, it, you know, just like say whatever. His name. Um, <laughs> But that was a th- that was new. That wasn't that hadn't been done before. That was like opening the doors for nonfiction. To Are you be talking about consider the lobster? Yeah, I recently read this essay. Actually, had you not before? I had not before. Okay, so and this it was, was horrifying. It's it is, but it's also like so. His assignment was he was you know he was on the on the beat at Gourmet Magazine, mm-hmm. um, and it was hey go cover this this lobster fest in Maine, right? Like nothing to do with serious writing in any sense. And he did what he, he wanted did to do with it. Right. Right. Which was talk about humanity and how awful it is, which is what <laughs> which he always right. does. I mean, right, 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 right. But that opened the doors for other people to do that. And I think for the genre to be taken more seriously and, and in different directions. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think you're right. And it's also like a good entry point in terms of publishing. You want to yeah. write, you want to write things that, you know, people want to publish, which is, has to do with food and restaurants. And you can use it as a way of building your your clips your, and getting paid maybe and getting better at writing hopefully <laughs> also, getting paid yes. and getting better at writing and just practicing i mean writers write so if you can be writing about food you can be writing yeah there's also i think too this and we talked a little bit about this on the last episode the overlap between different um art forms and creative processes right so i mean culinary art the culinary arts it's art right yeah and, so true and, um so and many... it is like you were saying so meditative mm-hmm. so you know, I think a lot of writers take long walks before they write. And I also think a lot of writers cook to let in between. Simmer? Yeah. <laughs> no, you didn't. I had to. It's, There's going to be lots you know of those. What? I'm I had to resist that it was so your first pun of the show. <laughs> I was writing this episode and I was like, oh my God, there's so much. Ah, I can't do Courtney it. Courtney even wrote some puns into my script, which I had to go and delete because I don't know. I don't Anyway, no, but like I think I I do that. There's definitely overlap there too, right? So I think about Gabrielle Hamilton or Anthony Bourdain, who are amazing writers in their own right, and, yeah. and you just see kind of the creative process coming through in a lot of different ways. Yeah, and it's just a beautiful space to yeah. connect with people. Um, okay, well, 
coming up, we're going to bring two local food journalists to continue this discussion and get them to weigh in for us. Some expert advice yeah. here. But first, take a listen to a poem from badass fiction writer Sherry Fick reading Pie Inside at the Inner Loop. It's called Pie Inside. Margaret was angry again. Bob could hear her banging pots and pans, slamming cupboards the way she did when she wasn't in a forgiving mood. He snuck out the back, went for a long walk up in the hills. The clouds converged and then rolled away, dark and dramatic like an opera. Bob crept along until the first tiny star peered down at him, suspicious. By the time he got home, the place was silent. Bob stood on the front porch. The automatic light clicked on, a spotlight. His show was about to begin, but he'd forgotten his lines. Through the window, he could see the pie inside on the table. Not an effort of love, but a grudging nudge toward it. He could see the pie. He opened the door, tiptoed in. Thank you. Welcome back to the Interloop Radio. We've been talking about food writing or writing about food, uh, but neither Rachel nor I are experts in that genre, so um, (laughs) we like to eat. Uh, Okay, here we go. Sometimes we eat our words. Uh, (laughs) There we go again. But we're going to try not to do that uh, as we welcome two special guests to the show. Laura Hayes, food editor for the Washington City Paper, and uh, Susan Lutz, who chronicles food waves and food preservation technique. She's a food journalist and photographer. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks for yeah. having us. We're Thanks pumped. for being here with us. So tell us your ways. <laughs> <laughs> I think I guess really like one of one of those things that I've been thinking about in 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 writing this was do you think people take food writing seriously as a genre? And that we can open with that and go from there and yeah. Who wants to take that? Laura, Susan? Sure, absolutely. Laura? I, sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think there's been a pretty big, big transition over the last, last like 10 or so years mm-hmm. um, in terms of the genre of food writing. Um, it's kind of evolved from simply being about what's on the plate mm-hmm. or occasionally mm-hmm. who's behind what's on the plate. And now food writing is everything. So you, you can't help but take it seriously. It's labor, it's immigration, it's mm-hmm. race, it's the environment. Uh, it's politics. It's it's so many things, um, and and food. Uh, the reason for that is cause food is the one thing that everyone has in common. Mm. Right. Absolutely. And Susan? I think food also tells us so much about other parts of our lives. So it can be a good entry point for things like more serious issues that people wouldn't necessarily want to talk about mm. on the surface. But if you get to the point through food, through mm. what do you eat, where do you eat, mm-hmm. how do you cook. It's an easier way to start a harder conversation. It's like the ultimate icebreaker. It is. Yeah, yeah and it's like a, a, a gateway, again, to getting to other cultures as well, is through mm-hmm. food. We all love different kinds of food, and you could write about the food, but it, it's also a way to, to connect to another culture. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, even think about travel writing as a genre. I mean, the most travel writing is kind of consumed also by food writing because those are the... Right, yeah. The, and back to what you're saying about smell. I mean, those are the things that you remember and stay with mm. you. Um, if you went to Florence, do you remember the mm-hmm. David? Probably, but... Um, <laughs> I mean, that I That epic do. bowl of pasta, <laughs> on the other hand. Um, yeah, I feel like Italy especially, everybody always comes back talking about the food. Exactly. <laughs> sure. Yeah, it can just food writing and travel writing, it can be so transportive, which I think is a, another great quality of it. Right. So speaking of of food writing and how it relates to other writing, what are some similarities and differences that you found? I'm sure you've written other things as well between food writing and other writing. I actually don't see a difference at all um, because I... It's the same. (laughs) Uh, It is the same. uh, When people ask me what I do, even though I have the title editor, I'm I'm writing and writing and reporting, so I I call myself a food reporter. Mm, Um, So I'm doing everything that any other journalist would do. I cover food um, just like a crime reporter would cover the crime beat. Um, mm-hmm. So I just I think it's uh, one and the same. It, it's taken just as seriously. You have to um, build your source network. You have to um, make sure everyone's telling the truth. You have to have checks and balances. <laughs> you have to get both sides of the story. Um, and that's, again, because I'm, I'm often not writing about actual dishes. I'm writing kind of about trends and issues and and chefs behaving badly and things like that. Um, so for me, food writing is, is writing. Right. The same. Susan? I think on a lot of levels, that's true. Um, it's certainly the way I write now. Mm. But You've I worked started... on some other big... Pro- I'm interrupting you, I'm sorry. But okay. yeah, I know you've worked on some other projects that are not related, right? Yes, that okay. is true. And I started writing as a television writer. Okay. So I was Me a TV too. producer. Wow, look at you nice. guys. <laughs> there was a high five in the studio that just happened. <laughs> we, we both survived. We made it out. <laughs> but I'm not all the way out. I mean, I do. Um, and I think that when you write for TV and when you produce for TV, you're producing with a sense of visual. Mm-hmm. Um, you're thinking about the visual at the same time you're thinking about the writing and you're thinking about putting those things together ultimately. Right. Food writing, for me, when it is different, it is because I'm oftentimes the person making photographs and I come oh, to the writing yeah, okay. through photography. And when I am not the person making photographs, then I do tend to approach it in a slightly different way because I don't have these two different languages speaking to each other Mm. that I'm melting together. Yeah, that's interesting how using the different art forms, like we've been kind of, that's been a theme throughout this season, melting Um, the art forms. Well, and that's, I mean, for both of you, do you find that, so lots of other writing is, is strictly without any visual element not that you're not imagining visual things right but these two are often paired it's like food and beverage (laughs) like writing in photos like people do want to you know we're talking about moving away from that what's on the plate but people still want to see I don't know even you know the chef behind the counter or or what they're doing do you find that that's I think that maybe is one of the differences absolutely I think there's a strong expectation to see visuals when you think and talk about food Mm -hmm. partially because food is a visual medium Mm -hmm. in many ways we want to know what it looks like we want it to look good Mm -hmm. if it doesn't look good we want to know why Mm. and I think Instagram yeah we want to get we want to get the Instagram shot (laughs) (laughs) yeah I think it's absolutely changed the way we talk about food because we're not just talking about we're also looking at it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
If, I think when people go to Yelp, um, I wonder if anyone actually reads the reviews or if they just go through the, <laughs> just, the photos. Totally. And what's interesting is, you know, at, at my Alt Weekly, I follow closely our traffic numbers. And okay. you really can tell a difference when I write a story and like a food photo is the, the lead photo, the one that shows up on social media, et cetera, mm-hmm. versus if it's like, you know, a photo of a white guy cooking. Um, <laughs> people like just really viscerally want to see what they're about to eat. Um, and it, you can describe something that's that's right. on a plate, but seeing it is, is so much more um, visceral and important. And that actually relates back to what you were saying, Laura, about how it's sort of universal food writing because imagery plays such a big role in all writing. You have to be able to paint a picture. You have to be able to put the reader there. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that you have to do the same thing for food writing. You have to let them picture the food and what it looks like before you taste it. Exactly. <laughs> I wonder what, what drew you guys to, to food as kind of a medium for your own creative outlets? Yeah. Uh, well, I started as a television producer right. in Los Angeles. I grew up in the Shenandoah Valley, uh, which my okay. family had a very strong food culture. It was really important to me. And I was homesick, deeply, Can I jump in and homesick. ask, what's the big meal? Like, what was the thing that was cooked the most at home? The thing that was most loved, though it was not cooked all the time, yeah, was country ham. Mm. My dad cures country hams in his basement to this day. Wow. Address, please. Yeah. <laughs> I get two a year. And he's still, and so it's, it's a different kind of ham. It's special. It's his recipe. Yeah. My, both my parents grew up on farms in the Shenandoah Valley, and mm-hmm. so that food culture was something I missed and didn't have in L.A. Mm. So I started thinking about food because I was getting ham shipped to me in the mail. Across the country, <laughs> right? And grape jelly. And, and I was learning to cook in ways that I hadn't bothered to previously because I just ate the pickles out of the crock. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to think about where the pickles came from. And suddenly I desperately wanted those pickles, which are not easy to ship. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I started obsessing and becoming interested Mm -hmm. in food. I started working on a project about Sunday dinner just to have an excuse to call people and to interview people and to figure out how to make recipes. And it was for me a vehicle to cure my homesickness and to reconnect with my family. Mm. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Laura, did you have a favorite food growing up? Um, I did. It was Japanese food, which leads me into this, the thing that pulled me towards food writing, which is that before I was in D.C., I lived in Japan for three years. um, And I had always been a journalist. I was a TV news writer and producer in San Diego, um, which is (laughs) wild. And um, we got sent to Japan, and it was the best thing that's ever happened to me. And I feel like I only fully understood that culture um, through their food, mm-hmm. and that was so powerful to me. Like just the way that they treat their food, this culture of mastery, all the different like le- levels of texture, and it's so complex and um, just like the culture there. And that made me really want to explore um, how else you know food is enjoyed around the world and how that exists in U.S. cities and et cetera, et cetera. So that really cemented my, my mm. passion. And did you inspiring. speak the language at all? Not when I arrived, okay. but I, I lived in a very small town uh, where I was um, the seventh foreigner. Um, I taught junior high during the day and I farmed rice at night. Uh, which is a fun thing to put on your resume. <laughs> um, so I had to learn as fast as I could. I found a, a tutor and um, I studied nonstop. And um, by the end, I could I could 
do dispense. So any last recommendations for people who want to be food writers? We got the visual, the imagery, anything else that uh, you're an editor, Lauren. What jumps out at you the most about a great piece? You're like, this is going on the front page or whatever the equivalent is not it these days. I think every great food story starts with a question. Um, So so if there's something that you were dining out and there's something you didn't understand or um, there is something that you've never tasted before and just kind of that drive about why and Mm. and, um, to kind of get the story behind the food and behind the person making the food. And um, that's kind of, I think, the the best way to start every story. I just published a a big, big one, uh, 5,000 words on what the problem is um, with the D.C. region not having a true food critic of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and my question was, well, what, hap- what, like, what, is, what are we missing out on because of that? Um, right. And so I think, yeah, every, every good food story starts with a question. Cool. Lovely. Susan? Susan? I think it also starts with a connection. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. because food is mm-hmm. something we all connect to, figuring out what is, what is my connection to this food, even if it's not visible on the surface, is a good way to start. Hmm. Beautiful. I have one last question for you, and this is rhetorical because we're going to be <laughs> But why stir a cocktail when you could just shake it violently for a few seconds and, and then be done? done? <laughs> <laughs> we actually have a uh, local author who gives us a little insight into that. Um, we'll have a listen to him and his essay with the answer. But and first. then after that, we'll be back with our guests. We're going to make you join us on one of our famous <laughs> live you, writing kindly agreed <laughs> to join us. Um, and this time we'll be writing recipes so Susan and Laura get those creative juices flowing and have a listen be right back uh, it's called meditation on stirring there was never a sound beside the bar but one and that was my long spoon whispering to the glass is not how Robert Frost's poem mowing begins No, Frost's speaker is cutting hay on a hot day. Brutal work. And his long scythe is whispering not to any glass, but to the ground. But I'm not Robert Frost. I'm a guy about one full century removed, staring off into space while I stir a glass filled with ice, liquor, bitters, and other sundry mixers. Not brutal work, not even a little. I'm absently trying to match my stirring to some half-heard blank verse I chant under my breath as the ice melts, the glass fogs, and the fluid dynamics of my chore change with every swirl. You never stir the same cocktail twice, said Heraclitus, a guy who was famously obsessed with stepping into rivers. (laughs) When I was a kid, I learned the meditative pleasure of mowing the lawn. My body was young and willing to bend itself to work, and even back then I was somehow able to appreciate the manicured lines the wheels of our old push mower left in this small kingdom of grass amid tall pines. Thinking back on it now, I'm reminded of the lines a wooden rake will leave in a zen rock garden, the finger trails of human imagination on a disorganized landscape. We didn't have a riding lawnmower that I could charge across the yard upon, whose clippings could be collected and then unloaded neatly in one great heave. No, it was labor that required a certain number of human paces and which left clippings to be blown away or washed flat by rain. Stir for 30 revolutions, the recipe for an old-fashioned instructs, then strain into a rock's glass with ice and enjoy. 
Return to the mixing pint in half an hour. Look upon the compost of melting ice and recall the work you did. There's still a half-life of flavor there. I've noticed that I use the same phalangeal movements to stir a bar spoon as I do when I sit calmly with a pair of Chinese meditation balls revolving around my palm, clanging softly. The ring finger and pinky initiate the dance in a come-hither stroke, and then the palm muscle medial to my thumb flexes as my middle finger pushes the spiraled shaft of the spoon like a jazz man spinning an upright bass, and the whole motion bends back around circular and begins anew. Why stir a cocktail when you could just shake it violently for a few seconds and then be done? <laughs> because stirring ensures clarity. It blends elements without bruising them with air. The forceps of the mind are clumsy forceps and crush the truth a little in taking hold of it, said H.G. Wells. And I'm inclined to agree. Stirring a cocktail, like mowing, is mostly about the truth. The truth that Plato liked comes in lines, numbers, and geometric shapes. For him, I fill my spherical silicone ice cube molds. There is also truth in the chanting of Om by certain monks and the sliding of prayer beads by others drunk on their vespers, while the Sufi mystics whirl and whirl and whirl. But we can't whirl on forever. Eventually the prayer concludes, the body is centered, the mind clear, the drink mixed and chilled and the grass trimmed. Through loving repetition, something becomes more perfect, we understand. And that is why we do the work. To paraphrase Frost, the fact is the sweetest dream that labor knows. My long spoon whispered and left me to my drink. Welcome back to the Interloop Radio, broadcasting live at the Line Hotel in Washington, D.C. That was Eric Koslick reading Meditation on Stirring. Side note, uh, Eric is the brains behind Modern Bar Cart, and there will be some bitter goods from them in the silent auction at our gala. Yes, right. We can't <laughs> stop thinking about our bitters. gala. <laughs> so while you've been listening to The Value of Stirring, we've been writing. Um, so when I mentor writers, one of my favorite exercises I was telling Laura and Susan, um, is to have them write a recipe for something totally unrelated to food. And it can be as simple an act as tying one's shoes or as complicated as falling in love. Um, the challenge is to kind of walk yourself through the process in your mind, which can really then help when you're setting up a full piece, as you guys probably know this better than I do but <laughs> I'm usually really good at the live writing exercise I did terribly this time. <laughs> I did a terrible job I feel like we have a lot to learn from you guys yes <laughs> um Okay, I'll start with my yeah, really gonna make bad Courtney one. Yeah, I'll just go, I'll just go first. I, like, I was like, oh, I got like five steps in. I'm a terrible cook. Um, okay, so this is... 
<laughs> my recipe for getting through the day, and I really only got through waking up, so there we go. Uh, one, step one. One, wake up. Two, uh, hit snooze three times. Three, wake up, actually. Four, stretch twice. Five, roll your head three times. Six, call your mother. I call my mom, like, immediately upon waking up, which is weird, but... <laughs> Uh, if she doesn't beat me to it, also weird. <laughs> Call your mother. <laughs> Talk for approximately five minutes. Hang up. Remember that you forgot to ask about dad's back. Marinate for two seconds while you decide if you have time to reopen that bag. <laughs> That's as far as I got. <laughs> uh, not my best work. Right. <laughs> also not my best work, but I'm going to get it out of the way so we can get the pros in next. Okay. This is recipe for reconnecting. Oh. <laughs> you don't have to cheese it up more. Jeez. Ingredients. Faraway views with as many colors of the palette as oh, possible. <laughs> Quietude dotted with chirping of birds, squirrels, and crickets. Pink wine. A bubbling hot tub a footstep away. A lover, preferably one who is eager, hopeful, ready to please. Let the views sit in the distance for at least an hour. Fold in the quietude and pink wine in stages. Hold your lover as they rise. Oh, that was so good. <laughs> Stop it. That's, that's the kind of thing I intend for this. Um, Laura, Susan, who wants to go next? Okay. I'm right, not, sure. Laura. <laughs> not sure I hit this mark, but we're going to try it anyway. Great. Um, this is a recipe for real travel. Um, and the only ingredients are an open mind and a good attitude. Nice. Step one, don't plan. Step two, pick a neighborhood and commit to spending the whole day there. Step three, find the restaurant where the staff speaks the least English and point and see what comes out. Order more. <laughs> Step three, visit the shops, even if you don't plan to buy. What does this culture, what does this neighborhood value? Next, sit in a park and... Um, Next, sit in a park and people watch. How do parents interact with their kids? What sports do people play? Last step, finish at a local pub and ask all the questions that you've been building up, that have been building up throughout the day. Bartenders know everything. They have the answers. <laughs> Truth. <laughs> Nothing truer has ever been said. Who knows? Lovely. Thank, Thank you. you. I think that's going to be the rest of my day. Oh, good. Nice. Follow your plan. Perfect. Nice. <laughs> I can recommend a few bars in the neighborhood. Excellent. <laughs> that's what the, uh, Adam's working does best. Yeah, so yeah here we are. True. All right, Susan? Susan. Mine is a recipe for getting things done. Nice. nice. Ingredients, persistence, faith, and a strong cup of coffee. Mm -hmm. Instructions. Number one, determine hoped outcome. Number two, gather your sources. Number three, think about step one. <laughs> Number four, refuse to think about steps seven, eight, and nine. Step five, keep your head down. Six, keep your coffee cup full. Seven, move forward one step at a time. Step eight, look up when your head bumps into the wall or you're done. <laughs> Bravo. Love it. Thank you guys. Thank you guys that, for that playing along. I know I sprung that on you. <laughs> and that was the best live exercise I think we've done. I think so. so Bravo, ladies. Thank, Thank you, you so much for coming on the show. People Thanks can find you online if they Google your names. Absolutely. Yes. Um, and you can see some of my writing at eatsundaydinner.com. That's Susan Lutz and Laura. 
I guess Twitter's easy, at DC and then at WashingtonCityPaper.com. Awesome. Lovely. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Uh, well, that's our show. Join us December 13th right here on Full Service Radio as we close out the season already or anytime on your favorite podcasting app for more literary fun. To find out more about us or submit to read at our next event, visit us at www.TheInnerLoopLit.org. And speaking of our next event, it is next Tuesday, November 19th. We'll be at Cotton and Reed, and we're partnering with uh, Strength in Our Voices for a show featuring writing on mental health. And the gala, 7.30 p.m. December 6th at the museum. Don't miss it. It's your last chance to get exclusive access to the beautiful museum before it closes its doors on December 31st. So secure your tickets to our winter fundraising gala on our website or on givelively.org. Today's episode was produced by Courtney Sexton, and our theme music is by Andrew Logan. Thanks again to Susan Lutz and Laura Hayes for joining us on the show. And if you join, uh, enjoy, enjoyed today's <laughs> episode, please leave us a review on iTunes, SoundCloud, or any other stream site you use <laughs> and don't forget to subscribe subscribe <laughs> subscribe subscribe <laughs> so you never miss an episode happy writing and i can't believe i'm saying this already happy thanksgiving yeah right on the woods <laughs> <laughs>